You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 218. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey san, hey san! How are things? Well, I have, uh, unfortunately, some really terrible news that I have to start with. Um, oh, no. Uh-oh. One of the members of the board of the Swedish Skeptics, uh, where I'm the current president, died last week. Oh. Her name was Karin Karlsson. And we, we don't know for sure. It's I don't haven't seen any medical verification, but it, we suspect that she died from COVID-19. Sorry to hear that. That's terrible I'm news. I'm really yeah. sorry to hear yeah. that, yeah. It was either that or, or the flu. Oh, God. Right, right. So very... C- came very sudden and, and unexpected was she an was she an elderly lady no she was <coughs> 51 i believe um, oh, that's very young yeah she she was uh, uh it, it's it's a big blow to to the skeptics movement she was very very active within the movement she was secretary of the board she was head of the local chapter in gothenburg and she was very involved in the quarterly magazine that we do and a lot more so wow. it's really terrible don't take chances people stay at home i yeah. i really yeah, yeah. you know i know that sweden and of course um pontus you you, you talked about it uh, in the previous podcast sweden took a different approach mm. to social distancing and how they kind of organized the life around the covid mm. I don't know. I, I'm being very cautious and I know a little bit paranoid and, mm. and I just stay the fuck at home. I mean, mm. Mm. and I, I that's... So, so, well, so do I, I think. Well, I go out when I have to buy groceries, but basically nothing else. Um, yeah, same here. And, yeah. And um, it's strange how your perspective changes when the pandemic becomes personal like this yeah. before the, before this happened exactly it's just numbers I, I did, it was just numbers yes and i didn't know and i still don't know anybody else that has even have had friend yeah. ha- mm-hmm. that this happened to so mm-hmm. so it's it's a shock it's it really is i i have to say like on a slightly more positive note i do have few people who i know for sure had coronavirus and they recovered mm-hmm. one of them ended up on the ventilator in a hospital and she spent a week there but she's fine so th- there'll be some of course cases that are, that are not like that but um i also want to say it's not all yeah you know doom and gloom yeah no of course yeah it's rare still i mean most people do pull through and uh, one shouldn't be yeah. alarmist but uh, this was um, tough yeah act- actually one uh, so far i think the overall case uh, one fourth of the overall cases r- recovered mm-hmm. so i think but then now it, it's uh, over six percent mm. of the cases that uh, end up dying so six percent i don't i really don't think it's that high i, th- I will i will talk about that later oh, okay, because okay. Uh, we will we will go into the numbers but yeah sure but whatever whatever number we have for the people who are diagnosed it's it's not the real number because we uh, w- like i can't go in and get tested yeah 
That's uh, neither yeah. can you well, guys. You can only get tested if you're dying. <laughs> that's the reason. That's one of the reasons. But uh, more on that later. So, yeah. In, in the usual COVID nineteen update part. Right. Right. So I'm I'm really sorry mm. to hear that, and and we we all understand how difficult it is yeah. to lose people close to yeah, us. That that really sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to keep my parents from moving around. Yeah. Because they're all uh, almost seventy, both of them, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, both both of them have um, pre-existing conditions, so I fear for them mm. mostly uh, in my family. So this is this is why don't walk around, don't spread this thing. Mm. Try to save your your family members and and everyone who who you I, can. I also have um, a very good song, "Stay the Fuck at Home," which we will we'll link. In, oh uh, yeah, in the, yeah. In, that's, good. that's a good he, one. Did you hear it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for those for those who haven't heard it, uh, listeners, just just Google "Stay the Fuck at Home" song. It's it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but I I think we can share the link. That's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I think we have uh, quite a packed episode this time as well, so why don't we move on to uh, the first segment, which is uh, This Week in Skepticism, presented by Yelena Levin. Oh, that will be myself, thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to talk about drugs, you know, just because <laughs> I got sick and tired of this COVID just casually. bullshit. <laughs> Um, and not any drug, but LSD drug. Now, I've been fascinated mm-hmm. uh, with LSD for a while. Um, I'm going to say that on the record. I've never taken any drugs other than alcohol and smoked cigarettes, but that doesn't count. <laughs> um, but not, nothing else. <laughs> yeah. But just the, um, the, the, the journey of LSD always fascinated me because it created controversy in medical world. And there's a lot of skepticism around what the LSD drug can actually do. Some people say it's really good for some therapies, help with depression and uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and um, just generally improve people's experiences on one side. On the other side, of course, there is uh, an opinion that taking LSD in a certain state of mind can make people do uh, very rational things like harm themselves or uh, jump from the uh, buildings and bridges and, and basically end their lives. And uh, in a lot of the countries, where I think in most of the countries of the world, LSD is uh, currently illegal. Uh, even though there are a couple of, uh, what's the word for, for the countries that kind of g- uh, uh, being a little bit more further down the development line, progressive countries. Liberal? Liberal. Progressive, yeah. <laughs> Progre- yeah. Liberal countries, of which one is actually Portugal, I have to say. So the, the LSD, mm, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, you wouldn't wouldn't think of Portugal as uh, one that's particularly liberal-leaning country. <laughs> no. Well, when it comes to LSD, apparently it is. <laughs> and so, so, is, um, so is actually Mexico. Uh, LSD possession of up to 0.015 milligram was decriminalized in 2010. So then Czech Republic says that possession up to five blotters of LSD is considered a misdemeanor and creates relatively low monetary penalties. So we kind of can say that that's kind of almost legal-ish. legal-ish. Yeah, and the rest <laughs> of the world is pretty illegal. And there is a whole conversation we can have around how the governments control drugs and uh, people using drugs and why they, they do that. But that's a different topic, a different conversation, different podcast. Today, I want to talk about something around what happened back in 1943, uh, when on April 19th, Albert Hoffman chose to deliberately ingest 250 milligrams sorry, micrograms of the lysergic acid dithelamide. 
So, basically, this Albert guy, he was a scientist working for um, a uh, pharmaceutical company in Switzerland. Um, he's been uh, researching um, something called ergot, which is uh, which considered to be a poison that um, was growing on the rye, and it, it killed a lot of people back in well o- over the centuries actually. Um, so he was he was like looking at the components of this and working with it, and at some point just uh, kind of uh, producing different type of components with with some of the ergots molecules in in a laboratory, and. By complete and utter chance, he came across um, this compound, which became later known as LSD-25. So he actually created 24 of these combinations with the ergot and other type of um, uh, components. And then then he created the 25th, so reacting lysergic acid with diethylamine. Mm. And uh, he, it was abbreviated as LSD twenty five for the laboratory of, uh, uh, for the purposes of laboratory testing, and they they've done some testing on on the uh, animals all along the way as they were researching this, um, and it didn't really show much of anything. There was a little bit of what they, what they said um, at the time. The, they found that the the uh, there was. Um, some odd excitement in animals during the testing. <laughs> so that, that's, that's, that's literally what was the only thing that was, was slightly different from other, uh, testing other compounds. Um, and so it kind of stuck in his mind and, uh, it was put on a shelf because it didn't prove to be worth anything. But then he kind of thought about it. And I don't really, you know, I'm not going to pretend to know what exactly his thought process was. Uh, but he decided to go back to this compound and, um, retest it. And so as he was preparing this LSD compound, he all of a sudden felt very dizzy, very kind of out of breath, and he had to leave the laboratory, go home. He experienced some sort of what we now call a high, um, this kind of hallucinogenic kind of experiences. And then thinking back to, to what happened to him, he, he thought at first he uh, kind of inhaled something, but then he realized that preparation of LSD, this tiny, tiny, tiny portions of LSD uh, penetrated his skin and sort of accessed his system through through that channel and sort of made him experience all these things. So in any case, on uh, April 19, 1943, he decided, okay, I'm going to experience with this drug and kind of take it. And uh, so this is exactly what he did. Um, he... Um, he took the drug, he, he tried to kind of lead the journal as he was taking it and as he was experiencing the transformation of his mind. And um, uh, he made, he was the first person to kind of uh, describe the, the, all the um, different um, experiences, you know, and the halluc- hallucinations. And I have to say, that was a bloody bold move from Albert's part. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be that brave. So um, he actually thought he's going to, in the first instance, when he was first uh, initially touched by the drug, he thought he's going to die, you know, because of the hyperventilation and the state of panic he got himself into. But when they start testing the dosages, he realized that the dose was so far off the deadly dose, you know, when, he, when the poor mice and rats were tested on, um, that he kind of started experimenting on himself and got into it and discovered that actually that's not the case. Now, what's so fascinating about LSD and the reason why I got interested in it? Because there isn't an addiction to it. So you, you take it and you can either have a bad trip or a good trip. 
So when we talk about, um, for example, uh, <laughs> uh, cocaine or, 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 or other, other uh, sort of drugs, we, we talk about really high addict, addictive, addictiveness. Whereas with LSD, you don't get addicted, but if you do have a bad trip, it can fuck you up for life. Like it can actually mess up with your psyche so much. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why, or one of the arguments they make. I don't buy it 100%. Not that I've done it again. I'm not, you know, <laughs> and I don't think I will do it anytime soon. Uh, I joke about it and I say, look, when, when I retire in my 70s, we have to try all the drugs and maybe I will. Um, but it, it's... <laughs> Don't take drug advice from a podcast, people. <laughs> but, it, <laughs> but it still <laughs> remains... Please don't do it at one, all at once. That's another thing. <laughs> yeah, but it still remains this, this um, a very uh, sort of elusive, but also strangely safe drug if you think about it to have and um, I am totally on the side of let's make all drugs legal I, um, I think uh, war on drugs doesn't work um, it doesn't do anything and uh, we should just make it safe for people to take or whatever I don't know whatever they want to do and explain the harm but yeah so LSD and who who was the first person to try it and uh, I'm gonna take my hat off to Albert Hoffman uh, who did it for for the sake of humanity, basically. Did he have any out-of-body experiences? <laughs> <laughs> he actually written a book about this. I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't read, unfortunately, I haven't read his book. Okay. Um, he might have described uh, the, the experiences in the book of which out-of-body might have been one, but... Uh, not not exactly sure. I have already mentioned uh, the countries where it was um, kind of legal, but yeah, most of the countries it, it is illegal to possess and take, and it, it will end you up in jail basically. So I guess I mean don't do it unless you're in Portugal mm. or Mexico. Then maybe try a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you very much, Elena. Alrighty. That was an alarmingly detailed explanation of uh, how, how to get high <laughs> and why it might be fascinating. <laughs> Never mind. We are moving on to the next segment, which is when Pontus pokes the Pope. So, what the pedal happened? Ay, 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 um, ay, ay. As many of you have heard already, I think, uh, Cardinal Bloody Pell is now a free man, and his sentence was overturned by the Australian High Court last week. As we have followed Pell's court adventures, we of course have to look into how this happened. Uh, very short recap, uh, we've talked about it several times, but uh, Pell has, Cardinal George Pell, has for a long time been accused of uh, not only covering up sex scandals in the Catholic Church in Australia, but he, it has also been rumored that he is an ab abuser himself. Uh, Cardinal Pell was being tried for two different charges involving uh, several different accusers in 2018, including one mistrial, since the jury couldn't reach a verdict. But in December 2018, he was found guilty of molesting two choir boys in 1996 and 1997. Uh, his lawyers appealed, but lost. However, it wasn't quite over because the defense had one more chance to, to appeal, and this time it was to the Australian High Court. And they have now come down, the High Court, with their decision, and that was to reverse the verdict altogether. So Cardinal Pell is a free man, although he did actually spend 400 days in jail. 
So what happened here? Basically, he got away on a technicality. That's, that's how it seems to be. Because the prosecution seems to have done a poor job. An important fact in the trial was that the abuse is said to have occurred in the sacristy after Mass. The defense had five different character witnesses testifying that Pell always, quote-unquote, uh, that was the key word, appeared on the stairs of the church after Mass and never, again, a very important phrase, was unaccompanied between the Mass and appearing on these famous stairs. Um, he was going out to the stairs and say farewell to the people who had attended. So, importantly now, the High Court did not declare that Pell must be innocent, but they ruled that this testimony introduces some reasonable doubt and therefore the verdict was invalid and must be overturned. Now, smarter people than me, namely lawyers, have said that the prosecutor made a big mistake in the first trial not to challenge this part of the defense, the, the fact that he never uh, disappeared between mass and saying goodbye to the people. Uh, one quote from a lawyer, not from me, is that the prosecutor was an idiot, <laughs> end quote. Because if you have a situation with a witness saying, well, this and this always happened or this and this never happened, what you must do as a prosecutor is to follow up with a question like, are you saying that over the many years it is impossible that Pell disappeared for 10 minutes or so between mass and greeting the people out on the stairs? And if the witness then say, yes, it is impossible, you say, so, so you're really saying that in your opinion, he never took a phone call, he never went to the bathroom or disappeared for a little bit of time? And if, if you do that kind of questioning, most witnesses will say, well, I can't say... Exactly, but I don't recall that he'd ever disappeared. Yeah. So um, that's the line of questioning that was missing in the trial. Uh, so if I understand this correctly, and I'm, I'm not a lawyer, you understand, but uh, this, since it wasn't challenged, one fact that was established in the trial was that it was uncertain how Pell could have had an opportunity to do what he was accused of doing. And since that was a decided fact in the trial, uh, and the High Court cannot add new facts. They can only re-examine the already mentioned pieces? Yes, that's my understanding. Okay. That's my understanding. So they could say the jury should not have found him guilty because there was reasonable doubt. So that, that's basically what happened. Oh. Interestingly, the High Court could have done something else in this case. They could have re remanded the case back down to a lo lower court for new fact-finding, but for some reason they didn't choose to do that. And I'm, I don't know why. But in the meantime, what this means is that Pell got away. There are no further appeals or retrials possible for this particular charge. And uh, at least right now, there are no other trials pending against him. But if you want to hear real lawyers discuss this, I do recommend listening to episode 235 of the podcast called Serious Inquiries Only, which I got most of my facts from this time. And uh, it's, it's a very good show regardless. All right, so the question is, what does our old man Frankie say about this? Well, it took the Pope only a few hours after the High Court's ruling to react. During the speech at Palm Sunday Mass, he first referenced that Jesus was uh, persecuted by, quote, the doctors of the law, unquote. And then he went on to say, I'd like to pray today for all persons who suffer an unjust sentence. 
So even without mentioning Pell right out, Fuck off. there's no question what he meant. Cardinal fucking Pell has been persecuted unjustly, just like Jesus was. And that must really warm the hearts of all victims of child, child abuse over the world to hear the Pope say that. What a fucking thing to say. Can't even. Where's my t-shirt? Oh. You know, but what pisses me off about this is that by not sending it back to a lower court, mm. they just left it hang there forever. Yes. So yeah. there is not enough. Now we'll never really know, no. Yeah. And uh, I hear that um, during these trials, uh, one of the victims did actually die. So is that is that correct? No, it, oh, before it that. was before that. So what? Before the, the verdict, the original verdict. Okay. There were two choir boys in this case. And when one of them committed suicide, the other one decided to put forward the charges. So that's how the trial ah, okay. started. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And was that, that suicide uh, linked to the... I believe that the other person thinks so. okay I, I don't know if the fact you can only speculate right yeah i don't recall hearing that there was a note or some explanation i i don't remember that i don't know you know i probably won't be very popular with this but uh i do have a feeling that it might be right to say that it the case doesn't have a strong enough leg to stand on Mm. But then we should be much more thorough and go back and re-examine the, the situation and find new evidence. Because we, we, we all know, as skeptics, we all know very well how our minds can deceive us, our own minds. Mm. So, mm. right, your, your memories are flowing it's not a constant thing it's not like an it's not like data on the computer it's all shaped by your personality your experiences later and 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 all that stuff so it might not have happened the way the victim claims it has but then still you have to go on and investigate yeah and not just leave it hanging there yeah, and, and we should also, of course, be clear that I'm not saying that the they did something wrong in the in. I mean that the high court came to the wrong decision. Maybe on a, from a legal point of view, this was the right decision. But yeah, with all those suspicions that we have, we've heard about uh, Cardinal Pell for many years. We know that he spent a lot of money defending the church and and actually persecuting at least one victim to, to make it a deterrent for others to come forward so he is a douchebag but legally you can't be convicted for being a douchebag and yeah unfortunately not and yeah. it's a technical term it sounds very likely very likely that he ha- had taken advantage of a, several people yeah but we it's not proven so we we can't say uh, legally that he should go to jail but it still feels very wrong for him to to just yeah uh, get out of jail yeah and for a long time he was not willing to go home to stand trial right and yeah. that's when tim minchin wrote the song come home cardinal pell <laughs> yeah i keep thinking about it <laughs> yeah so yeah. but at that point he, he wasn't accused actually that trial was about another person if he yeah. had covered up yeah. for another yeah. as pedophile. a high-ranking yeah. member of the church uh, he could potentially cover yeah. up uh things like that oh yeah it's a fucking sick institution as mm, it is just the whole thing yeah. makes me want to puke mm. 
On totally unrelated, but somewhat somewhat related note, I'm watching Unorthodox right now, and it's just as sickening. So, but mm. anyway, it's about Orthodox Jewish uh, okay. faith, mm-hmm. and it's not as I want to say it's not as bad. I mean, it's still super perverse uh, how what they make people do and how they make people behave. So unnatural, and it's yeah, yeah. I get it. We're no fans of religions here. No, so. <laughs> no we like to mm. question stuff. Yeah. All right, thank you very much, Pontus for poking the Pope once again. And we are moving on to discussing what's new in Europe. Okay, as uh, every week since the COVID-19 pandemic was announced, we can't browse through the news without bringing you an update on the situation. So what's new? Well, the number of overall cases and deaths look increasingly troubling and the curve doesn't seem to be flattening out at all. Uh, By the time this goes out, the total number of cases will have passed 2 million, with about 150,000 deaths and approximately half a million people who will have recovered. How do I know? Uh, It's how a pandemic of this scale works. As as long as we see the curve climbing steadily, we are still at the exponential uh, phase. And it can't be emphasized enough that the changes we make today to stop it from spreading will have an effect 5 to 14 days from now due to the incubation period, right? Mm. We, we don't know yeah. uh, who has it and it can be uh, spread without having the symptoms. So we need to stay home. And at this point, we should learn as much of the virus from a scientific point of view as possible. But that requires large-scale testing. So how are things looking out on that front? Well, in short, it's a complete and utter mess. Hmm. Some countries provide a lot of data that they regularly update. Others are very sloppy with their reporting schedules. Uh, There are all kinds of ways to provide numbers, not to mention additional info. There's no standardized data reporting method, so sometimes it's difficult to know if we even compare the same things. And the underlying causes for that are equally varied. First of all, the required number of test kits are still not readily available in some countries, whereas others are testing on a massive scale. Mm. Also, it's hard to know if the test counts show individuals tested or tests performed overall, uh, as there can be people tested more than once, obviously, as, for example, healthcare workers who are exposed at a much larger scale. So it's not easy to make sense of the data we see compiled. Based on the naked numbers, though, and not accounting for potential double or triple testing on individuals, there are 39 countries in the world that conducted tests on more than 1% of the population of the country, and 24 of them are in Europe out of the 39. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, I keep waiting for you to say Germany, because Germany is doing pretty amazingly, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are still doing very, very well. And um, unfortunately, the EU still doesn't have a a unified plan in place for its members, so it's all down to what the leaders of the individual countries decide to do, Germany being one good example. have to say, though, that uh, most of the top-ranking countries are, in that regard, are tiny states where it's less difficult to reach 1% of the population, right? (laughs) Iceland, Mm. Malta, Mm. and San Marino are very good examples. Latvia. Latvia, yeah. I I wanted to to mention Latvia as well, uh, but mostly Estonia. (laughs) 
somewhat more populous countries like Norway and Switzerland rank very high on the list, but uh, some would easily say that, uh, yeah, they are fearfully rich, so of course they test like crazy. But Estonia and the other two Baltic states, as you just mentioned, are also among those cool guys, and you realize... So looking at that, that it must have more to do with a decision on policy rather than sheer wealth. Mm. Estonia is among those providing the most comprehensive set of data. And I have to say, I'm not not at all surprised. Those guys are crazy when it comes to data handling. They are fond of data and <laughs> they, they just love their data. <laughs> they are very... Uh, well-educated uh, in in general. And uh, yeah, I admire Estonia for a lot of reasons. Out of all three Baltic states, Estonia is my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm not even joking. This is because Estonia is the most organized. Uh, they have their shit together. Absolutely. They govern better than th- the other three states. So I am not surprised. You know, it's a country mm. wow. with 1.3 million people, but I admire them for their achievements. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I really like what the uh, Estonia and uh, Latvia and Lithuania have achieved as well. They are amazing too. They, they are member states of the of the former Soviet Union, and what they have achieved since the 19 the beginning of the 1990s is absolutely amazing but estonia is just out of this world it's absolutely but slovenia austria germany spain portugal ireland denmark and the czech republic have all reached more than one percent in testing their citizens and are pretty thorough in their reporting Hmm. in that regard among the low-ranking EU member states are... Sweden. (gasps) Sweden is not at the bottom. No? But Poland, Hungary, Romania and Bulgaria are. (laughs) Uh More on Hungary later. Wait, wait, yes, I was going to say exactly. I have some more bad data for Hungary later as well. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, can't can't wait to to hear that. Um, (laughs) Well... (laughs) Well, unfortunately, I will have um, a bit more information on what the situation is, on the overall situation is in Hungary, and <laughs> I, I can say it's it's looking really bad. But let's get back to the the numbers a bit. By the end of the week, five European countries will have had the total case count over one hundred thousand, with Spain now leading the charts, not Italy. And their combined numbers are comparable to that the case count in the US alone, which is currently the country with the leading figures of new cases, uh, followed closely by the UK, where Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, was hospitalized and even taken into the IC unit exactly, yeah. for a, a couple of days last week. Now he seems to be recovering nicely, though, but we mustn't forget how a couple of weeks ago he had been bragging about how good he did yeah. by shaking hands of people uh, who who had the disease. So this is what you get. Yeah, it's, uh, silly. Yeah, that's it's 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 ridiculous. Okay, but I started by saying the numbers are troubling. What did I mean by that? Obviously, every death is terrible, but uh, one of the terrifying trends is that the death rate seems to be rising. A couple of weeks ago, it was a little bit short of four percent, but now it's over six percent. How come, you might ask? And Yalana, you did touch on that at the beginning, but in a bit more detail, it looks like now we're facing the nightmare scenario where hospitals are so overwhelmed that there are no resources, human or material, to test anybody else but those who are admitted to a hospital. And obviously, it's only logical that once people are admitted to hospital, they are ill enough 
so that the 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 risk of them to die is much higher so mm. among them the death rate will be much higher the result the result is a large scattering of data regarding death rates uh, this is cre- clearly demonstrated by countries like Germany, where they have been testing like crazy, and on average, only one out of ten tests come out positive, while in places like San Marino, every second test gives a positive result. Every second test. Hmm. Uh, Belgium, one out of three, Spain, one out of six, and so on and so forth. But the nightmare doesn't end here. There are more uncertainties at play. There's also the problem of people not getting hospitalized when it would be necessary. And unfortunately, reports of people dying in their homes have become quite frequent too, but they're not counted in the COVID-19 deaths mm-hmm. because they have not, not been tested. So the, the, we have no idea what's going on, actually. Uh, there can be all kinds of reasons why someone decides not to go to hospital and hopes instead to sit it out at home. Many workers still have a job and they cling to it no matter what because they need to get paid. So more and more countries rely, realize they need to st- step in and help with that too. This is no time for political debates over uh, socialistic ideologies, right? We need to help those in need. Yeah. Uh, that's what makes us humans. Inequalities will only increase as a result of this pandemic, so leaders have a duty to figure out how to help people. But the most important thing, and this is what I want to end on, is that we need to avoid contact with others unless in need of medical attention. And a rapid review was published in the Cochrane database of systematic reviews last week. It was looking at all kinds of studies published in the last two months that assessed the effectivity of different types of quarantines and isolations to control COVID-19, plus a couple of SARS and MERS-related studies were thrown in there for additional reference. They reviewed a total of 29 papers and concluded that even though the knowledge about the dynamics of this pandemic is still fragmented in many ways, some of which I discussed earlier, an implementation of quarantine, the earlier the better, in combination with relevant other public health measures, is consistently shown to be effective in reducing the total number of cases and death rates as well. Mm. So they also suggest that testing in representative samples to assess the true prevalence of the situation would reduce the uncertainties these assessments currently suffer from. Yet another reason for more testing. So there you have mm. it. Even though intuitively one tends to come to the same conclusion that staying the fuck home and isolated from everyone else is the best thing you can do now it seems like we have science to back that up too yeah stay home and let the heroes do their jobs without being totally overwhelmed i just have one comment so you said that the the curve hasn't been flattened yes i want to say that i am lucky enough to live in a state that believes that we are not far off flattening the curve enough in washington state mm-hmm. to be able to kind of think about okay how how do we go back and then we're still a couple of months away from that but uh and i don't know how they're going to control the f- traffic of people coming from other areas i did suggest to build the wall but you know <laughs> <laughs> oh you're not talking about mexico right yeah. Uh, because you're 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 high up <laughs> just in around the, north. the Washington State. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's interesting because overall, if we look if we look in, you're talking about of course world numbers. Um, it'll take it's like a wave effect. It'll yes. take a long time. Yes. Yeah, and the world numbers have uh, all those countries included that are just now in the phase of the cases running high up. 
And there are individual countries where the, the cursive, e- e- even if it's not flattened, I think, uh, as far as I know, in some uh, American states, what they call the flattening of the curve is not an actual flattening. It's it's just lowering the, the rate of, of the climb, mm. uh, which is still a very good thing to do. Yeah, where every day we're getting less cases, yeah. less deaths, less whatever. So that's kind of the projection is the right projection, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I think, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the most important thing because that's what makes it sure that the the hospitals are not overwhelmed. Yeah. And healthcare worker workers are not overwhelmed, so we can take care of those yeah. who who fall ill. So this is the current situation, and uh, I have a feeling that we will have a couple of more news items related to COVID-19. Is that correct? Oh, oh, on this note, yes, of course it is correct. Uh, maybe another 101 item. No. Um, so I'll start, I'll start with one. So this is, uh, this is um, an, um, a website called ofcom.org.uk. They are UK's communications uh, regulators. So they regulate TV, radio, video, and demand sectors. Fixed lights, telecoms, mobiles, postal services, blah, 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 blah. All those, all those good things. Mm-hmm. Um, so they posted a very um, informative article for everyone, and we will link to it. Um, uh, they called the article Cutting Through the COVID-19 Confusion. I like how they use the word confusion. I would have used bullshit, but that's me, you know, and also <laughs> the political correctness, whatever. Mm. Um, and an official official body cannot call <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Wait until the times get tough. <laughs> and it's basically this article just highlights all the things that, that are going on uh, around COVID-19 informa- misinformation that circulates um, around the internet. And they trying to help people by giving them resources to research the best available information, to debunk some of the claims that already exist and direct them to the right place. And so it's very helpfully... Um, kind of breaks it down into three individual areas. So they have fact-checking and debunking area where you can go in. And there's, of course, our uh, websites uh, like um, Full uh, Full Fact um, that produced how to fact-check claims. Uh, that's a UK website. Um, then there is a, a one called Fact-Check and I that are publishing and currently researching some COVID-19 claims. Um, Snopes, of course, we know Snopes. We have mentioned it on yeah. so many of our episodes. We use it all the time. It's a US-created uh, website for debunking some of the claims. And of course, they dedicate the whole section to coronavirus misinformation. Um, then they have another section there, uh, called debunking misleading claims and then resources and tips for that and they link it to various uh websites like bbc channel 4 so uh places where they've already done the legwork for us debunked claims that exist online and then they provide facts around those claims and the third section is information from official sources and organizations which we always claimed if in doubt go to the world health organization who uh, NHS organization, NIH, which is an American one uh, organization. Only these organizations have real data about what's going on with COVID. L- not your uncle on Facebook. They don't know anything about that. 
So yeah, we'll um, th- there's there's a couple of other other sections on there, like actions by online platforms. Of course, a lot of big organizations and online platforms take part in trying to debunk misinformation, like Apple. Facebook has launched a dedicated coronavirus information center. Google, they have a google.com forward slash COVID-19, a one-stop shop website. Even Snapchat is participating in this. <laughs> Snapchat? I think it's only fair that they all do. Uh, but I, yeah. listen, I'm old and, and sort of not down with the kids. I have no idea how to use Snapchat. But hey, you know, kudos to Snapchat if they did it. I thought it was all about pictures. But anyway, <laughs> they launched three COVID-19 lenses, including worldwide lens with tips for sa- staying safe with information sourced from the World Health Organization. That's very needed for the younger people out there. And of course, Twitter. Well, we know Twitter. Twitter is very active in, in this uh, area. I think, so, uh, sorry, I, I think I figured out uh, Snapchat. As long as you're staying home, taking shots of your own face, Snapchatting it, I think uh, you're good. Um, I think, but I think I, people who use yeah. Snapchat already kind of stayed home. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, and a lot of people, a lot of people t- take selfies on trains for some weird reason. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so that, that should be happening now. That's, yeah, don't do that. No, don't do that. Again, so a lot of really good information packed on one p- website. Uh, we will link to it in our uh, show notes, mm-hmm. but it's offcom.org.uk with f with one f, not off as in fuck off, but it's just offcom. <laughs> offcom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last week we mentioned Sense About Science and their latest action, uh, namely an open letter that calls for a more transparent approach about COVID-19 testing, something the government had previously been talking about and failed to deliver. The letter was signed by many dignified scientists and institutions. Now, whether as a result of this letter is unknown, but a couple of days later the Department of Health and Social Care published a policy paper about how they plan to scale up the UK's testing programs. Mm. Yeah, how cool would that be if it were the result of this letter, open letter? Mm. Never mind, we don't know if it if it is the case. I have to say it is quite an ambitious plan. In the ministerial foreword, Matt Hancock, the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, outlined the five pillars on which they want to base this program. The first being a boost in swab testing, you know, the, the, the ones that find out whether you are infected by taking your bodily fluid, or at least some of them, snot, mostly. <laughs> but that is testing hospitalized patients and frontline workers of the NHS, uh, the National Health Service. As a second pillar, now... New capacities are hoped to be reached with uh, commercial partners. The antibody tests are to be conducted to figure out the proportion of the population that had contracted the disease and have gained immunity. That's the third pillar. That combined with large-scale surveillance is the fourth. And in the fifth, they want to build a whole diagnostics industry from scratch. Good luck with that. Mm -hmm. They are surely getting up to speed, but whether the ambitious 25,000 swab tests per day goal can be reached by the end of April is yet to be seen. Across all five pillars, as many as 100,000 daily tests are set as a challenge by Hancock. Well, certainly ambitious, right? 
but I'm not the only one skeptical about the feasibility of the plans, actually. Sense About Science commented on it as well in their newsletter reporting on this policy matter and the policy paper, adding that they do welcome this plan as it is more detailed than any other previous communication and it means there's something to hold them accountable for. So I think it's still quite an achievement because they can be referred back to this policy paper. The details can be checked out by anyone following the link we'll provide in the show notes. Maybe they, they, they're doing this, you know, when you're shooting for the moon and then you, at least you achieve something. Yeah. If you set your target too high and then you at least you achieve like a little bit lower, but still quite a lot. Maybe that's what they're doing. I don't know. You know, maybe mot- motivational tool of some sorts. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I think it's hard to criticize them for being too ambitious. I mean, every... <laughs> no, in a situation uh, like this, is uh, definitely not the, not the case. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, the, in right. the forward, the ministerial forward, he was like going on and on and on about how cool and, and, and how well they're doing even now. It's ridiculous. But... Hope the plans work out well in the long run. Okie dokie. I want to talk a little bit about colloidal silver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when? Colo- when? Uh, We've heard that before. Yeah, this is a, this is a news item from Finland. Uh, for those who don't know, colloidal silver is water containing very small amounts of silver particles and silver ions. And this water is claimed by snake oil salesmen to have healing properties. We have we have those guys in Sweden too, and they officially sell this as a cleaning agent. But secretly, they promote the idea that it's a magical cure for almost any anything: uh, cancer, Ebola, the common cold, you name it. COVID, broken legs, even. Uh, in uh, Finland. Providers now of colloidal silver cannot even keep up with the demand on these closed Facebook groups that are pushing for this. It, it's, uh, it's amazing. I wonder why. I wonder why the sales are so high now. Uh- uh, well, well, of course we know why. It's, it's for the, new, the, the pandemic. Everybody is, is panicking. This report from Finland showed that local manufacturers who have previously said that they stopped producing the stuff, they have now opened up shop again because of the pandemic. Since uh, this is a shady business, promotion is done through these secret groups on, on Facebook. When this cannot be produced fast enough, other people on these groups recommend overseas providers and other things like mega dosing on vitamin C or even inhaling hydro- hydrogen peroxide, which is really, really dangerous. Don't take advice from these. How did you do that? Where did you get it from? I, I, if you get invited to one of those groups, they'll probably tell you. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> yeah. uh, Let me make a note. Uh, yeah. So I'm not surprised by this. People are, as I said, panicking and they cling to whatever nonsense is offered. But the concept of pushing dangerous products and views on secret groups online is really worrying. I've seen it before. It's more now. And I don't know what we can do about it. I don't know how much Facebook can go in and close these groups down or or if they just pop up on other media then. I, I... very, very dangerous and 
frustrating as well. Oh, there is this guy in uh, in uh, Hungary, and that the Hungarian Skeptical Society is uh, fighting a legal case with, and not not the 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 institution. One of our members actually, mm-hmm. and he sells. He's he's a snake oil salesman. Mm-hmm. He sells grapefruit seed extracts and he claims that uh, they have all kind of magical effects and on his website right now he says that he has unprecedented uh, amount of orders at place so he asks for patience from the 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 customers and it's ridiculous that um a university institution tested some of his uh products as well and they seem to have seem to have none of the material that he claims to have Mm. inside it Mm. so it's it's ridiculous and uh the guy sued for uh, for defamation. So wow. it's ridiculous. And good luck. I hope he will. And he calls himself Doctor Choboy, and turns out that he doesn't have a doctorate. Wow, well, that seems to be a good or thing. or a medical degree or anything. Ridiculous. Okay, now that I I mentioned Hungary. I need to talk about Hungary a little bit more. It, mm. it may look like I'm here to constantly badmouth poor dictator, but uh, things are not looking very good in a country. Let me give you a quick overview of the situation. <laughs> so, the Minister of Human Capacities, uh, the healthcare services are is are on the debt that ministry announced a couple of days ago that 60% of the country's hospital bed capacity would have to be freed up for upcoming coronavirus virus patients by the middle of this week. It might seem very forward-thinking at first, mm-hmm. as they foresee a massive surge, so they want to make sure that they have the capacity. But we're talking about 36,000 beds, a large proportion of which are currently occupied by patients in need of medical care, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, those people are to be taken uh, to other hospitals according to the ministry, or sent home to be taken care of by their families. So I'd like to ask them, what the actual fuck? (laughs) All hospitals will have to comply, so why would they be able to take anyone in overhead? So we're left with family members caring for sick people at home. That's just unacceptable, I think. If you go on the government's coronavirus website, that's the next thing. Uh, you won't see the number of deaths at first. You see all kinds of numbers, and the overall death in the world are shown, but not in the country. There is a button saying number of death, and you have to click on it. Then you'll see a list of cases with numbers, the age and the pre-existing conditions. So you have to work a bit to gather the actual number. So it's hidden in a way. Uh, no statistical data, just a lot of words to read through. Mm if you want to to make out what the situation is. Now the funny part. Our chief medical officer, who has been given the nickname Aunt Tilly, after her first name, Tatilia, uh, but I, I would like to call her Aunt Silly instead. <laughs> <laughs> she has become more of a spiritual guru than a, than a chief medical officer lately. What? <laughs> Wait for it. They held a press conference on Holy Thursday when everyone had expected they would announce a curfew and more public health measures, but instead they announced fuck all, even admitted they had no idea what they would do with high school leaving exams, uh, which is the greatest concern for all senior secondary school students, right, graduating this yeah. year. She didn't say anything about testing 
or what further measures would be taken, but instead she went on and on and on for a good 15 minutes about how to clean your house, meticulously going through kitchen, bathroom uh, and uh. bedroom. Well, it was and- somewhat <laughs> relevant, right? Because it's, it's to do with germs and whatever, spread of virus. Yeah, but you all know what to do with all them uh, and, and how to clean them all. And she made um, a makeshift crash course housekeeping session out of this... <laughs> this fuck press conference and then she was kind enough to throw in some advice on how to spend these next few holy days not touching any anything and anyone in the process i was literally rolling on the floor laughing now i know what it means because it was like (laughs) it was it really sounded as if you were listening to a, a, a spiritual guru mixed with your grandmother oh. meanwhile orban was busy building his relationship with president erdogan oh. and attended a video conference of the turkic council where for some weird reason he holds a constant observer status what for i have no idea no hungarians are not a turkic nation just saying this is just part of his alternative cultural history scheme but what about the house system As in normal days without COVID-19, even now the only thing that holds the system together is the dedication of a massively underpaid, under-equipped community of medical professionals whom I consider the real heroes of our days. Testing is only done for those hospitalized, and even then, still not everyone is tested. Healthcare workers are generally low on the list for testing, and a few days ago, the general director of our local hospital here in Sikeshvahirvar was dismissed for what the ministry said was an administration error. The step is unusual at best in times like this, I would say. According to sources close to the former director, his error was that he had healthcare workers tested. But nobody has corroborated the claim yet. Uh... As I mentioned before, testing is very scarce and systematically lacking, so this might have been the problem. I'm not sure. But this is why I did not hesitate for a moment to sign the online petition that demands large-scale testing and screening. The bullet points are somewhat similar to the pillars uh, that I mentioned about the UK health uh, minister uh, uh, outlining with slight variations. They demand regular and comprehensive testing of all healthcare and social workers based on the elevated risk of their infection. They also want everyone tested who shows any of the typical symptoms of COVID-19 as an early diagnosis that can lead to a more successful treatment. Another bullet point is that testing of the those living in proximity who's had the disease and can potentially get back to work, thus helping the economy rebound as quickly as possible. It all makes a lot of sense, which is not particularly surprising if you check the initiators, among which there is a former chief medical officer, who is actually a chief medical officer, not a guru, <laughs> a former undersecretary of health, several physicians, pediatricians, uh, activists, and a couple of members of parliament. So if you read and understand Hungarian, you'll find the link very useful and you can sign the petition as well. Hmm. It's not going to do anything because Orban doesn't care about petitions. Um, so... I don't think it will achieve much, but at least it's an important and just cause. Hmm. I was trying to find that post. You guys know about this post more than me because it's been circulating. It's even made its way to LinkedIn. That's the only way I know it. It's about the medical workers and how people don't want to know and see another movie award 
but all they want to do is um, dedicate awards to medical workers, people who have to go out and work. Yeah. And I, I couldn't find it. It was wonderfully worded. And it was like basically rethinking our our priorities and, and understanding what's what's actually important, you know, like the movie awards and all this Hollywood bullshit all of a sudden became super unimportant. And everybody else in the front line are very important. And I just wonder how... I'm hoping we're not going to forget it too soon, but we'll see. We'll see about that. Oh, yeah. More coronavirus situations. <laughs> You're not saying. <laughs> yes. So this is, uh, as I promised, uh, Andres, uh, Hungary um, bashing coming up. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So um, as, as one of the re- responses uh, for coronavirus pandemic, a lot of European countries are restricting um, the religious services across, uh, across their countries. And um, of course, that was kind of on my mind a little bit, because when we were told to stay at home, didn't cause me any problems. Uh, I mean, I love it. <laughs> I, I I put my top on, leave my pajama on, go to my computer and I work. I don't have to worry about going for sermons or services or whatever. But it was kind of at the back of my mind. What do people do who who are big churchgoers, you know, or if you're part of the religious group that um, have to uh, congregate every week in certain times? Anyways... As it turned out, some countries around Europe are much more strict with their restrictions on church gatherings and and worships and um, religious gatherings than others. And so I want to start with the... The, <laughs> the buddies in this list. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, the, this, um, the information comes from the conversations.com article. And of course, uh, who do we see at the bottom of that list? Uh, none other but Hungary, Spain and Bulgaria. I, I'm not sure if, if I'm surprised about Spain that much. I mean, I didn't know Hungary is that, that religious, uh, Andres. I mean, um, they uh, permit the public religious celebration still. Well, it's um, been reintroduced to <laughs> well, <laughs> newly converted. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, and then there's like um, hardly any restrictions. Uh, same for Bulgaria and Spain. So you can have private service or public service. And they don't even restrict the number of people. So I'm hoping that people in Hungary know better, I mean, at, at, you know, than to go to the church and kiss some icons. Then come another set of states. I'm sorry, uh, P- Pontus, mm-hmm. but Sweden made its way to the number two on my list of the buddies. So, oh, really? Moderate restriction, not even high, moderate. But we know about Sweden. Sweden ch- chose a different avenue. They're not restricting people as much. Yeah, we will see. Permitting, okay, and that's. Absolutely. You, you, you're right in saying we will see because this is a very fluid situation and it might change tomorrow. Mm. But they, so they're permitting the, uh, they're permitting gatherings up to maximum of 50 people. And if you ha- want to have the private gathering, you can do. And in the same category, Czech Republic made it in there, France, Netherlands um, and Poland. And then there is a, quite a big category of p- uh, countries that are restricting it on a high level. They suspend all service and they only open for private warships, of which, of course, Latvia made it into that category. Thank you very much. Uh, but also Finland, Croatia, Slovakia, um, and a couple of other countries. And the top kind of tier, the winners of this contest, it's not a, of course, it's not a contest, but it's an interesting kind of overview of how different countries in Europe deal with it are Denmark, UK, Germany, Greece, Romania, Cyprus, Malta, and Slovenia, who have very high restrictions no public uh, celebrations. They were suspended. And out of those countries that I mentioned, one, two, three, four, five out of seven closed uh, services for even all the places of worship. So you can't even have the private services. Kind of t- 
I want to say telling, but what is it telling? I mean, it, it's not really about which country has got a better democracy or 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 what whatever the mix of people or governments or it's an interesting thing to kind of ponder about and think about and also observe and see where it's all going to end up um the article kind of analyzing the percentage of the population attending weekly services and saying well that doesn't correlate really because Hungary doesn't have such a big percentage for example compared to for example in in Hungary just want to note that because obviously Andres you you, you know you you hear nine <laughs> percent of nine percent of Hungarians uh, attend weekly services which is a tiny percent and yet they go okay well all nine percent can go back into church whatever on one hand on the other hand I'm, I'm looking for Sweden only six percent of Swedish people people uh latvia latvia six i didn't know anything about latvia in that way so it's an interesting one and then the other graph that i found very interesting was looking at the level of democracy across different countries well does it mean that people who restrict their gatherings like denmark uk germany less democratic that people that countries that don't restrict that doesn't seem to tolerate either yeah so because UK and Germany, very highly democratic country, whereas Hungary is a little bit lower, and yet you see this disparity. So it's it's an interesting observation. I mean, don't go to church if you can help it. If you're listening to our podcast, you're probably not. So there's no. <laughs> yeah, or someone is listening to our podcast on on yeah. their way to the church. <laughs> Imagine, but 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 actually, if so, so, turn around. Go, don't go there. Go back. God bless you, my ch- my son. But actually, <laughs> one of the points that this article is makes, and I get it. Like I'm, a, I'm an atheist, you know, uh, and uh, I don't really care about that type of that that side of uh, public life. But what they say is that it is important to make sure that these um, freedoms, the religious freedoms that essentially been taken away, only been taken away in these extraordinary times of public emergency, public health emergency, and that they will be given back as soon as the life goes back to normal. I'm sure it goes through a lot of people's minds because, you know, as you mentioned before, Andres, the, the, the dictators will take that opportunity, they grab all the power and they'll never give it back. Well, I wonder mm-hmm. if that will be the case with this. You know, we don't, we don't know. I certainly don't want to comment on this. Um, I don't want to say one, you know, one way or the other, but that's a certain, certainly a concern. And so, and I don't want to say that we don't want it to be normalized because <laughs> well, <laughs> but, being but, an atheist, we could do without, you know, who knows? We could do without. Yeah. That. Right, right, right. We could do without. And who knows? Who knows? There might be a couple of people who realize that they can do without the church as well. Mm. you know and Pontus banged on and on about what what does the uh, what does the Pope have to offer now he hasn't got anything to offer so yeah yeah nothing nothing we'll see we'll see but that's one of one of the interesting aspects of of European life that we kind of watching closely as the COVID-19 progresses Hmm. just just to to comment on Hungary I think uh with Hungarians it's 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 why it's important and why the government doesn't specifically say they they stay everyone stay home if you can but they don't close the churches as such so they don't specifically close them but they don't mention not to go to church they try to make you understand that it's more important to stay home but they can't can't say not to go because they are so attached politically to the catholic church yeah. in hungary they kind of shot themselves in the foot yeah yes so that's the that's the reason why mm. all right so i'm going to talk about nothing <laughs> 
Here goes nothing. Because nothing is what best describes homeopathy. Ah, okay. There's nothing in it. It doesn't do anything. And its scientific value amounts to nothing. But still, nothing, again, will stop homeopaths from promoting their bogus claims. <laughs> Uh, and one country, of course, where it has strong support is the UK, mm-hmm. where we uh, and we have talked about this in the past. Our friend Edzard Ernst posted on his blog about how the British Homeopathic Association, the BHA, apropos COVID-19, recently posted a link on Facebook to their advice about what kind of homeopathic products are good against the flu. And since homeopathy allegedly uh, treats the symptoms of a disease and COVID-19 shares a lot of symptoms with the flu, they argue that you can now use the same sugar pills against both diseases. Uh, The advice that was shared includes... uh, 10 different homeopathic so-called remedies. I won't list them all because it's just bogus names. Uh, and they, but they all had the classification 30C, which I believe means that whatever active ingredient there was, it has been diluted 1 to 100, and that has been then repeated 30 times. That's correct. Which means that the likelihood of anything remaining <laughs> except water in the last batch is for all practical purposes zero. And which in turn also means that all of these 10 different remedies listed are chemically identical to each other. Now, the link on Facebook seems to be gone now, possibly after being deleted by Facebook, or maybe they took it down themselves after getting criticized. But the original document uh, is still there on their webpage with all its misinformation. Uh, and it's not just Edzard Ernst uh, in the UK who have reacted on homeopathic propaganda. Uh, The Times made an investigation based on data that they got from the Good Thinking Society, which we we love them. Good work. Uh, And, um, well, they found, the Times found, that many homeopaths belonging to the BHA openly offer so-called treatments uh, against uh, the virus, including in one case you could get, for example, 150 pounds per hour service called coronavirus remote consulting which i imagine is like a phone call or maybe a skype conversation time to to rethink your profession i think i'm gonna be um Uh, (laughs) transitioning 150 (laughs) pounds an hour yeah yeah. oh yeah yeah we should get 150 pounds per hour for doing this but we i don't think we are the the times did not at all appreciate this um what they found and they called homeopathy a quote junk medicine unquote they called it bogus Ooh. and it, they called for british homeopaths to be held responsible for spreading seductive and deadly false hope and of course we agree with that yeah bogus is a good word to use uh, when it comes oh, to homeopathy yeah, yeah 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 there are there's a good precedent on that you you are allowed i think to say that yeah but uh, when it comes to Simon Singh and uh, his uh, suit, uh, his uh, lawsuit, I think it was applied for uh, chiropractic. Yeah, their bogus claims, happily propagating oh, their you're bogus right. claims, you're right. or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. But homeopathy is bogus too. Yeah, yeah. I think we can say that. Yeah. If not, hey, we're in trouble. Yeah. But I don't think many homeopaths uh, listen to this show. Hmm. Probably a couple of uh, people uh, looking for uh, extrasensory perception material. (laughs) 
hopefully we got a few of those Lose, yeah. losing their way <laughs> okay moving on a little bit from covid19 uh ever since we've we interviewed ida richardman on episode 208 mm. i've been thinking of visiting chernobyl uh, one day well that day should not be now <laughs> as uh, a large part of the area went up in flames on the 4th of April, and parts of it were still burning as of the time of this recording. It looks like a 27-year-old guy decided it was a good idea to set fire to the dry vegetation surrounding the site of the 1986 nuclear reactor accident. Wow. Genius. Yeah. (laughs) It happened in the exclusion zone, which is the area where people were removed from in order to to avoid large uh, doses of uh, radiation exposure but then but then the winds changed direction it got out of hand and started to spread the idiot got arrested and uh, firefighters have been trying to stop it ever since the first news story news stories were written the next day though and at the beginning all looked well and easily controllable but when someone decided to upload a photo with a geiger muller counter adding that radiation levels close to the fire were 16 times that of the normal. Mm -hmm. The shit really hit the fan. It's okay to put something up on the internet like that, but some context would have helped, or who knows whether it would, but to avoid what came next. Because as the photo started to make its rounds, so did the scary reports and messages of warnings all over the internet, at least on Hungarian Facebook. People claimed friends of them who worked at the Hungarian Weather Service warned that because of the elevated radiation levels, everyone should stay inside their homes. Some were referring to friends whose son-in-law worked at the Central Research Institute of Physics, and it was all true, according to them, Mm -hmm. uh, that massive radiation has uh, been released and um, massive precautions should be taken. The messages, distributed mostly through Messenger, Facebook Messenger, spread like wildfire. Mm, Pun intended. Pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the advice was not bad, given the fact... Well, the advice was not bad, given the fact that we are living in times of a worldwide pandemic... Uh, but the reason provided for staying home was absolutely untrue. And because it did state the fact that Ukrainian authorities had claimed that radiation in populated areas is within acceptable levels, it all meant that this is yet another conspiracy mm, Of course, when they wanted to cover up the story. But there are links to a Ukrainian authority that controls air quality and uh, they made uh, predictions for this uh, last weekend, uh, Easter weekend, as to what radiation, elevated radiation levels should be expected. And uh, the levels did not exceed those within uh, safety limits in Kiev, uh, the capital of Ukraine, which is very close to the south from the Chernobyl mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. Now, what happened? So it's true that for a, for a little while there were elevated radiation levels measured around the fire. But what was that about? You can imagine that the vegetation around the contaminated areas, around the the old reactor block that was covered with a sarcophagus, a double sarcophagus actually, mm. not too long ago. So... 
the radiation that that came out when the, the explosion happened it started to sink in the soil but from the soil plants started to use it and started to soak it up mm. so there are lots of trees and um, a large part of the vegetation has very high cesium 137 137 levels uh, due to that fact but when the fire reached those areas and that vegetation obviously the fire broke down the cells that contained the cesium and uh, it started to spread with the smoke yeah. so that's the whole real phenomenon behind this issue but the levels are still within safety limits way below the levels of safety limits so there is nothing to worry about and fortunately two of the main news outlets in hungary did go and debunk the claim that uh, we're all going to die of radiation poisoning mm. coming from chernobyl so that's the latest chernobyl's care nothing good ever came out of chernobyl <laughs> i don't know it just has a bad name right <laughs> yeah uh, unrelated to anything bad <laughs> and coronavirus news now really um Yay! yeah i know you you never thought it will actually happen on this podcast but it does happen now and again um i want to talk about briefly very briefly about a new book by edzard ernst called don't believe what you think it has been published on april 7 so not so long ago we um we follow Edzard Ernst a lot. We quote his website a lot, and he's a, a very um, eloquent uh, presenter, speaker, defender of, of um, uh, modern, modern medicine, critical thinking, and all these good things. I'll just quickly quote from his website uh, what this book is about. He says the dangers of scams are multifold and potentially serious. Harm due to adverse effects such as toxicity of a herbal remedy, stroke after chiropractic manipulation, pneumothorax after acupuncture, harm caused by bogus diagnostic techniques, harm of using materials from endangered species, harm through incompetent advice by scam provider, harm due to using scam instead of effective therapy for serious conditions. Whew, I mean, uh, this list is pretty long. I continue with a quote. In this book, I address these issues in detail and explain how consumers get manipulated into believing things that are evidently wrong. Using plenty of real-life examples, I outline how the constant flow of misinformation coupled with motivated ignorance, motivated reasoning, and cognitive bias can produce a form of wishful thinking that is detached from reality. In the interest of, of my reader's health, I aim to correct some of these false beliefs and fallacious thought processes, end quote. So, um, and he, he does state that this book will not have any medical jargon. It, it's very plainly written um, and it'll address a lot of this and kind of arm people with a better way of thinking about the so-called alternative medicine and how to debunk some of those claims. Because we know that there's a lot of harm in it. So here we go. Uh, it's out. For those who want to get it, it's out in English. Do do that for sure. Um, Andres, am I right in assuming you're going to get it? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Yeah, I haven't yet, unfortunately, but uh, yeah. Tell the friend. We're kind of promoting it here. <laughs> Great. 
Thank you very much. I think that has been all of the news or the news related items this week. Well, full of coronavirus related stuff, but uh, unfortunately for skeptics, I think it's like a, a gold mine. The only thing is that we don't mine gold there, so we don't we don't uh, <laughs> make too much out of it. Never mind. <laughs> so, uh, moving on to the next segment when we find out who's been really wrong lately. What is it about precedents and the idea that hydroxychloroquine should be used against COVID-19? First famously promoted by pumpkinhead in charge Trump, <laughs> and also then by the clown Bolsonaro in Brazil, this malaria medicine is being held forward as a possible treatment against COVID-19 with almost no evidence to back it up. And we mentioned this two weeks ago and how the French skeptics, Afis, wrote an excellent piece on why it should not be promoted as a, as a COVID-19 medicine. But apparently, although being in France, their readers do not include the French president, Emmanuel Macron. Hey. So quite on the contrary, he instead paid a personal visit to the French doctor Didier, Didier Raoul, who is promoting this. And even if he didn't outright say so, this visit, of course, gives a totally unnecessary feeling that there might be something to this uh, medicine. The office of uh, President Macron uh, tried to play it down and they said, quote, One visit does not legitimize a scientific protocol. A visit simply marks that the head of state is interested for these clinical trials, uh, whether they are promising or not. Well, I'm fine with the president being interested in possible cures for diseases, including COVID-19, of course. But you don't have to visit in person. Yeah. Talk to your own experts about it. Read the studies. Do what you want. But don't make it seem like you support pseudoscientific nonsense. Because the consensus is that no good evidence exists that supports the findings, except one very questionable study, which later studies have not been able to replicate. And the big issue is here, and we said it before, that people are hoarding this medicine for the wrong reason, and they're trying to self-medicate. And this is a drug that has serious side effects, and they do this for no reason. And also, it creates a shortage for people who actually do need this drug for malaria or other things, whatever they use it for. Yeah. So I'm not very happy with this, even though they tried to play it down. But for visiting this doctor in person and therefore indirectly promoting a misleading claim, which is dangerous and stupid, President Macron gets today's prize for being really wrong. Yeah. He should stay at home as everybody else. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Mm -hmm. And don't yeah. give weight to stuff that is totally unsubstantiated claims. And uh, yeah, he must understand and he, he definitely understands that once he appears somewhere, it becomes a PR issue. Yeah. So yeah. I'm pretty sure that he knows that to be the case. So yeah. it must have been deliberate, but then he must have realized that oh shit, I shouldn't shouldn't have done this, and now now they're trying to back back down yeah. from it by downplaying this. Okay, thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And that basically concludes our show. Before we go, I would like to mention just one more thing because we failed to mention the John Maddox Prize that is uh, a joint initiative of uh, Sense About Science that we talked about earlier 
uh, and the journal Nature. And Don Maddox Price is uh, given to those who had difficulty and uh, faced uh, even scary situations sometimes while defending science. And the Maddox Price is based on nominations by the public and then a select committee will decide on who gets the actual prize. There are usually two prizes given per year. And this year's uh, John Maddox Prize uh, nominations are open until the 11th of May. So they opened it up on the 9th of March and they will be closed on the 11th of May. So just just to mention now who among the, the earlier John Maddox Prize um, awardees, uh, there are people like uh, Brit Hermes, whom we interviewed mm-hmm. on this show, uh, yeah. to, twice actually, uh, Elizabeth Loftus, whose name mm-hmm. might be familiar to uh, skeptics around the world, and our friend Edzard Ernst, who's just amazing, and as we heard from Yelena, yeah. just came out with a new book. So uh, nominate people if you know someone who might be uh, recognized or should be recognized with this award, then nominate them, please, until the 11th of May. But, Yelena, I'd like to ask you to close the show with a quote. Um, I do have a quote today from Oscar Fingal O'Flaherty Wills Wild. <laughs> I love that name. The full name. Is... Otherwise oh. known as Oscar Wilde, really. He's just an Oscar Wilde. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I have ever heard his full name. That's Irish, Irish poet and playwright. So he said, The fact is that the public have an insatiable curiosity to know everything, except what is worth knowing. Journalism, conscious of this and having tradesman-like habits, supplies their demands. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, Speak the yeah, truth. Yeah. yeah, and this is why we need skeptics. <laughs> to ram the truth down their throat. To go against all that, yeah, and try to, try to deliver yeah. something that actually <laughs> makes sense. Uh, yeah, we've been trying to do that too, and we will keep trying. Uh, thanks very much. Both of you, Yelena and Pontus, for joining me today on this quest. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please stay safe, stay home, and keep listening to our show and spread the word. But until next week, goodbye. Paka paka. Hey, do. Bislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu 
and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. I have to sit closer to the... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I have new glasses. I'm sorry. I have to cut that out. Um, after be No. I really have terrible time trying to read my notes. I'm sorry. I have ordered new glasses, but this is terrible. Are your eyes getting worse? No. Pontus is in denial. No, no, my old glasses were... were pro- sorry, Pontus. No, th- these are new glasses. Just these are new glasses because... Just a suggestion, I don't know. So they, they are perfect, but I'm not used to them yet. And this water is claimed by snake old salesmen to... Snake old, <laughs> old snake <gold>. salesman. <laughs> Claimed by snake old. I can't say that now. <laughs> Off the record. Yeah. You have a spider. A spider just came down right in front of my face. Oh my god. Okay. Okay.